Dantite's coming through. Oh, clicker. Good morning, Harefield. And uh, if you're uh, a guest here, then I hope you're feeling very welcome here. And um, welcome to everyone on Zoom, which should include my in-laws even. So I'd like everyone to wave their hands at the, so the camera can, Barbara and Rod can see. First time Barbara's managed to uh, get on via Zoom for six months or so. So hello to the, to the in-laws. And yeah, so we've got a new king, haven't we? Um, and like Barry said, you know, I was, I was quite touched by a few of the, the, the bits of it, such as him submitting to the king of kings. And, um, and he's now, as, as we said, he's now a defender of the faith. Um, and yet, yeah, do remember to pray for him. Now, funnily enough, faith, because that is something that we're going to talk about this morning. We are in Harefield working through a mini-series called, well, actually, first, can anyone tell me what our theme for the year is? Hands up. Anyone tell me what the theme for the year is at Harefield? Shout it out. Oh, hill climbing for beginners. Well done. Now, last time I asked that, there was complete silence. Hopefully by December, everyone will be able to say what we're looking at. Uh, That's correct. And, oops, did I move that on? That's all right, not a problem. Um, so we're currently working through this mini-series called Climb Every Mountain. And it's a good title because we're looking at a few of the Bible accounts that have mountains in them and seeing what spiritual lessons we can draw from them. And it is relevant because in our Christian lives we have many spiritual mountains to climb, don't we? You know, we may give our lives to Jesus... We may dive into that baptism pool. We may feel like we're on top of the world. Uh, Maybe like we're on a mountaintop. But let's be honest, we don't stay there forever, do we? Life happens and gets in the way. The world can get us down. The devil can tempt us. We still do things we shouldn't. And being a Christian can be tough. There are mountains we all have to tackle in our lives. And they don't get any smaller as we get older either. So we wanted to be honest in this series and with some of the things we struggle with. Now, two weeks ago, John got got greedy, actually, and chose two mountains, um, Sinai and Zion, uh, which represented fear and joy. And today we're looking at a couple of cliffs. Not Cliff Richard. Um, And I guess these must have been pretty big cliffs because they had names. There was uh, one called Bozes and one called Sena. And we don't know for sure where they were, but it's possible that they were in this region here, if I press it the right way. Um, this, is, this region is called Michmash, and it's about seven miles northish of Jerusalem. And these two cliffs relate to faith, or perhaps the lack of it. Because how we see the faith we have is such a limiting factor in what we do for God, isn't it? If you don't feel you have much faith, you're not going to step out much for him, are you? You'll stay where you are and you'll think you're safe. And if you've given your life to Jesus, then then you will be fine. You're still going to heaven. But if you don't step out, you're not going to get to have life in all its fullness as Jesus promised us. You may not get to, to be and do what God wants you to be. And our church isn't going to grow if we don't all have the faith to step out. But what is faith? 
Now, perhaps it's not that easy to define. Because you might say, I've got faith in Jesus, but what does that actually mean? Is it the same as just saying you believe in Jesus? Or is it trusting? And your funky fact for today, the Old Testament doesn't even have the word faith in it. It's actually only in the New Testament that the word is used. I didn't know that. Of course, that doesn't mean that people didn't have faith and acted with faith before that, but it's not the word isn't actually there. Here's one good definition, though, of, of faith. This is from, from Hebrews. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. We may not be able to see God. We may not be able to 100% prove that there is life after death, but we act with confidence that God is real, that there is hope for us. And I have an example for you this morning. I'm going to show you a new gadget I've got. Now, it's probably not what you expect me to produce out of, a, out of a bag. Here it is. It is a mini guillotine. Thank you, Barry. Now, it cost me $3.99 from Amazon, so it's top quality, made in China. And I'll be honest, when I ordered it, I thought it was about that big. Um, so it's a little bit smaller than I expected, so I hope you can kind of see. Um, uh, but I got it the other day, and what it does, so you've got this blade, goes up and down, it chops things off. Now, I've worked out how to use it to, uh, sorry, there are instructions, okay? If you get it right, there is a way to not chop things off. And things you might not want to chop off include your, includes fingers. Now, I've worked out how to not chop my finger off when I use this. I've done it a few times so far, and I've still got all my fingers. But you put your finger in that hole, push the guillotine down, and if you get it right, it won't cut, your thing, cut my finger off. Now, who believes that I can use this today without cutting finger off? Hands up. Oh, good. There's a few. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Excellent. So quite a lot of you believe me. That's good. Now, I'm going to keep you in suspense. We'll leave it to a little later to see if I can manage to use this without chopping fingers off. Right, let's finally get to the passage I was given for today. It's a story from the Old Testament, and to set it in context, Saul has become the first king of Israel. And to start with, he's doing all right in God's eyes. Um, I forgot to show you. There is Saul. And he's got a son, Jonathan. And Jonathan's a guy that becomes a good friend of King David, but this is before David appears in the picture. And the Israelites were in the middle of a battle with the Philistines, you know, like Goliath and the Philistines. And this is an account of what's happened on this day. So, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armour-bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, 
under a pomegranate tree in Migrom. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, and he was a son of Ichabod's brother, Achitub's, I might get that wrong, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. So no one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Seneh. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armour-bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armour-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armour-bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armour-bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armour-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armour-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armour-bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's Saul's lookout at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armour-bearer who weren't there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God, because at that time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. So Jonathan with just one other person, triggers the whole Philistine army to implode and collapse. Which isn't bad going. Only, of course, he wasn't doing this alone, was he? He knew he had God on his side. Because before he went out on the raid, he said, let's go over to the outposts of these men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by few or by many. He knew that even a huge army would not prevent God from saving his people, even if there were only a couple of Israelites. He had faith in God. And he manages to attack 
enough soldiers to panic the whole army. God then sends an earthquake and causes them to panic even more, and the result is a complete rout. It was a great military move from Jonathan. But remember, John wasn't the king at this point, so where was the actual king in all this? Saul, he was sitting, chilling, out under a pomegranate tree, along with his army. Sounds nice and relaxing, doesn't it? Is that where he and his army should have been? Nope. So this was a sign that Saul wasn't going the way he should. He wasn't going to live up to the hope that Samuel had had in him. He wasn't going to be that godly king. He isn't proactive, because it's only later on that Saul gets involved in this fight, once it's kind of clear that his side's going to win. So who had faith that day? Was it Saul or Jonathan? Definitely Jonathan. And just a thought, we are all in a spiritual battle, aren't we? As a church and individuals. So are you being proactive on the front line like Jonathan? Or are you chilling under a pomegranate tree like Saul? So how is your faith today? In our elders' meetings over the years, Barry has often said that to us. How's your faith? And I dread it because it usually means there's bad news coming. Perhaps we're short on cash again or, or we need kids' work leaders or worse, the coffee machine's died. But in those moments, we've had to be honest that we can't solve the problem ourselves often and we need God's help. And I have to say, over the years, God has been faithful to us here and he's come good on all those things that Barry's asked us to be praying about. But I think faith is something many of us struggle with at times, don't we? We say we don't have much faith. We perhaps doubt God. We see what the world's saying and we worry that maybe we've got, all this, got this all wrong. You know, Maybe we've not experienced God when we thought we had in the past and we don't feel able to speak or do what God wants us to. Or maybe we've been praying for someone to get better and they haven't. And we say that's knocked our faith. And then perhaps we read that passage, famous passage in Hebrews, the one that lists all the people in the Old Testament who had great faith. And perhaps we feel a bit unworthy. It's easy to feel that we have no faith, or very little. But you know, one of the enemies of faith is feelings. I don't feel I have a faith. I don't feel God moving in my life. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel close to God at the moment. I don't feel like it at the moment. I feel like eating a huge bar of chocolate. I feel like sitting under a pomegranate tree for a while. You know, all feelings. Now, I'm not saying that feelings aren't ever important, because they are, but perhaps we give them too much benefit. Because just because you feel something, it doesn't mean it's right, does it? But our world at the moment, and I suspect the devil, likes feelings at the moment much more than it likes facts. Have you looked through the news recently? In the old days, your news headlines would have been dog bites man, man crashes car, West Ham win the league, well, maybe not the last one, actually, but otherwise, all very factual, easy-to-verify headlines. Nowadays, 
have you noticed how many of the headlines are a lot less easy to kind of quantify or verify? So-and-so was offended. So-and-so felt belittled. So-and-so says that someone else must be feeling something. So-and-so fears that something will happen to someone else. Furious so-and-so says such-and-such. You know, it's all feelings. There really is not an awful lot of fact in our, uh, in our news these days, so keep an eye on that. And we can be defined by our feelings uh, now, can't we, as well? These days, even our legal gender isn't based on our biological fact. It's what we feel we are or who we feel we're attracted to. And if my feelings were offended, well, that's the worst crime in the world these days, isn't it? It's abhorrent, which is another word that the, uh, the press likes to use too much these days. You know, in the old days, if someone physically hurt me, you know, I may not be able to work if I'm injured, so I might sue for compensation. But these days, I can sue for compensation if my feelings are hurt. Or certainly I have the right to make a big fuss about it. And the problem with feelings is they change. We can be fooled by our own feelings. I may be feeling on top of the world one day, but down in the dumps the next. I may feel like doing good one day. I might feel like thumping someone the next. And the thing is, the world says you should then act on your feelings and let them define you. But again, I might feel like robbing a bank, but I'm not a bank robber unless I actually go and physically rob a bank. I don't have to go along with my feelings. See, faith is not about feelings. It's about fact. It's about having confidence in the fact that God loves you, whether you feel it or not. It's about knowing that God has worked in your life in the past, even if you don't remember it. It's about knowing that you are saved, whether you feel worthy or not. It's about knowing that God can do miracles, even if he didn't the last time. It's about knowing that he answers prayers, even if it's not the answer we want. And yes, sometimes that means stepping out in confidence when you don't actually feel like it. I don't always feel like going to work, but I do. But if you struggle with faith, you're not the only one. One of my heroes in the Bible is the disciple Thomas, Doubting Thomas. He's great, he's cynical like me, and he won't believe Jesus has come back to life unless he sees Jesus in person, because he doesn't trust his friend's stories. And what happens? Jesus graciously shows himself to Thomas, and he lets him touch his wounds. And if we are honest with God, with any doubts that we have, I believe he would be gracious to us as well. Another person with faith issues um, is in Mark chapter 9. So a boy is brought to Jesus, and this boy's got an evil spirit in him. Jesus talks to, talks to his dad about healing him, because he says anything is possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
Isn't that an honest statement? Isn't that like a lot of us a lot of the time? We can be both believing and unbelieving at the same time. Again, it's those pesky feelings messing us around. The other disciples also struggled. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And on another occasion, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, perhaps we take that the wrong way. Perhaps we take that as a telling off. He's telling his friends off for not having faith. And maybe we then feel guilty that sometimes we're not able to move ourselves out of bed, let alone move a mountain. But this morning, I want you to take it another way. Do you feel like you have 100% faith? Probably not, if we're honest. Do you ever feel, though, that you've got no faith at all? Probably not. Do you feel like you're somewhere in the middle? Maybe less than half, but maybe still more than nothing? Quite possibly. Well, how much faith do you feel like you have? This much, this much, this much? Well, Jesus is saying you only need that much because that's a mustard seed and you, inevitably you can't see that because it is so small. But I have some genuine mustard seeds here. It's about one millimetre, maybe two millimetres big. But that is all the faith you need. And I reckon everyone here has got at least that much faith. And with that much faith, Jesus says that you, and that means you, can do amazing things for God. And if you start off uh, stepping out, then if you're like me, you'll find that you'll see God at work and your confidence will grow so that your faith grows and then you can do more and more. It's like a virtuous circle, as they say in business. And faith will naturally lead to you doing things. Because in today's story, Jonathan, he could have just prayed that God would smite the Philistines, but no, he got up from his seat and he went out to do something, trusting in God. In the New Testament, the writer James talked about, having, about how having faith only makes sense if it leads to actions, to deeds as he put it. But we mustn't get fooled into thinking that we are saved by those deeds. Because as it says in Galatians, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We need faith in Jesus to be saved. And if you've never said to Jesus that you trust him and you need him, then perhaps today is that day. If you're feeling, again that word feeling, like you're short of faith, then what can you do? 
What things can help you to remember that actually you do have faith and to remember that God can be trusted? Now, I'm not going to answer that because I'm going to ask the audience. I would like you guys to spend a minute talking with the person next to you or people around you about what can you do if you are feeling low in faith? How can you work on increasing your faith? How can you remind yourself uh, that God can be trusted? So you've got a minute to talk to the person next to you. Off you go. Okay, just to draw you to a close. So, who'd, who'd like to share some of what you've been talking about? Tracy, go on. Read the Lord's Word, read the Bible more. Fab, yes. Pray more, yes. Worship, how do you do that practically? Sing, yes. Go on, John. Yeah, I'm, I'm repeating all this for the uh, the microphones, but yes, re- recall recall what God has done for you in the past, because if He's done that before, He can do it again. Sue, did you have something else? Say, so, Sue is going to say the same. Mariam, listening to people's testimonies. Yes, I find that good. Stephanie. So, yeah, don't keep it to yourself. That is, I didn't actually have that one on my list, but, yes, talk to other people if you're feeling uh, low on faith or anything. Janet. God's love. He certainly is, yes. Lucretia. Being in fellowship and staying in fellowship, yes. So we might go a little bit more into that on another, another week coming up, actually. Mark. Spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time with Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes. Anything else from anyone? No, well that, I, I agree with all of that. I think that, had, that was everything that I had on my list, actually. Um, so, yes, there's some good stuff there. And, yes, um, I, I agree with Stephanie. That's, if you're feeling low, then come talk to someone. There are wise Christians here who can help you. 
Um, so thank you for that. There was some there was some good advice there. Now, I was going to try to not chop a finger off, wasn't I? Here's my little guillotine. There you go, up and down. Um, now, you, you, a lot of you agreed that you believed that I could do this without chopping, chopping a finger off. But I don't want your belief this morning. I want your faith. Now, who has faith that I won't chop a finger off? Ooh, there's still a few hands up, possibly not as many as before. So is that a bit different? Is it a little scary? Because faith and belief are slightly different. Now, who's going to show that faith in action? Mm. Oh, I'm going to pick on James. James, come up here. So, James, now, um, who's going, who, question is, who's going to push the guillotine down? Oh, uh, you can. I think it might have to be your wife-to-be. Is it? Martina, oh. come up here. This is a good test for, whether, for, for the future of marriage, I think. Um, so, put it on a hard surface. Would you, would you care to put your finger in, in there? Which one don't I need? <laughs> <laughs> can we count down? Ten, nine, eight. Are we ready? Martina, when you're ready, you can push the plunger. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Oh, she did it ah! It's still there. Hey! Round of applause for James in this place. Phew. We didn't, we didn't need the first aiders. See, anyone can say they believe something. You just need to sit in your chair to say that, or you can sit under a, under a pomegranate tree, but to actually have faith in something means getting out of your seat and putting it into practice, like James did then. It means putting your money where your mouth is. And I hope today has given you the confidence that you do have enough faith to start stepping out. You know, it might just be being brave enough to, to say you're a Christian at work or college. It might be um, being brave enough to get involved in something in the church. Um, it might be risking giving more of your money away. I don't know. It could even be something more personal could be taking steps to sort out your own life in some way. But if you're sure that God is telling you to do something, then you can do it. Now, if we're talking something big, you might want to just check it with some wise Christians first, and it should always line up with what's in the Bible. But with your little, little bit of faith, which, is so, which is only needs to be that big, which no one here can see, you can do God's plan for your life and you can contribute to God's plan for this church. So it might sound scary, but with this mustard seed of faith in your life, you can do it. So shall we pray to end? You know, Father God, sometimes we don't feel like we have the faith we need to do things in our everyday life, let alone to beat an army of Philistines. We do thank you for Jonathan's example of faith in you. But sometimes, God, we, we just need to pray that prayer. We do believe. 
help our unbelief. So please will you give us that courage to step out in faith this week with whatever you want us to do. And uh, that way we're going to trust you more and more each day. I thank you, God. Amen.